Good evening. It is good to be here again. I was looking forward to being here, but as I sat in the pew, I realized I still had more acid in my stomach than what I thought maybe I would. <laughs> anyway, um, I have a bunch of information that I'm going to dump on you in as short amount of time as possible. And I listened to what I, when I shared this at McDowell and I was surprised at how fast I was talking. It still took me 40 minutes. So I'm going to try to do a little bit better than that this evening. If you would turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, especially, well, the whole thing, but especially the first part, talks about a lot of practical things that are part of the Christian life, the Christian experience. I'm going to pick up reading at verse 14 and read to verse 18. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so you might think that I'm going to jump to redeeming the time because the days are evil, but I'm not going to do that. I want to point out something else. I want to point out the idea of light in that first verse I read, in verse 14. Light gives you the ability to see. And it says in that verse, Christ will give you the ability to see. Wake up, Christ will give you the ability to see. Don't walk like foolish people. A fool in the Bible is someone who knows what to do and doesn't do it. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, therefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the Lord's will for your life? Christ will give you light to know what the will of the Lord is for your life. Do not be drunk with wine when it is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Why did I include that verse? You know what alcohol is? It's a mind changer. Being, getting drunk is having your mind affected. It's a, it, it affects your mind. Don't allow your mind to be affected by the things that this world has to offer. Let your mind be affected by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a mind changer. The verses Jonathan read from Ephesians chapter 2 say that the mind of Christ should be in us. And that's the Spirit of God in us. I wanted to start out there. Uh, as you know, my talk is about technology, or I assume you know. I didn't know whether Jonathan said my talk was longer or my title was longer. <laughs> the title's a little bit longer than it was at Mabel. Uh, the effects of tech and social media on us as people. The reason why I am giving this talk, or the reason why I gave it at Mabel, is because I have a, a very intense desire to understand why we as human beings are affected the way we are by things, by the things that we encounter. And my study on this subject is focused on that. Primarily, the stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight is not so much from a religious perspective, it is from a secular perspective. And when I say secular perspective, I'm saying people 
who are thinkers, who are doctors, who are psychologists, who are looking at the way that social media and tech is affecting people, and they're saying, watch out, because here's what's happening to people as a result of their involvement in tech and social media. With that kind of as a background, I, want, I give you a quote from John Adams that comes from soon after the Constitution was um, in place. We have no government armed with a power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break through the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution is designed only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly, wholly inadequate for any other. Now, I don't know what you heard there. There's something we need to pick up from that quote. And it's the idea that any legal system without a framework of moral righteousness within the individual cannot produce the effects that the legal system is designed to produce. So basically what that means is that when there is a standard or a law about something, if there's not some way to govern the relationship between the individual and that law, some moral sense of right that is in that person, the law will not do any good. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that too many conservative people think about the church standard as if it has the capacity to do that. And you think, well, I don't. But let me ask you some questions. Do you expect the church standard to keep you on the straight and narrow? Do you think that if you're inside the church standard that you're okay? Do you think that if the church standard doesn't say that you can't do it, then it's okay to do? See, those are questions you really need to be thinking about. The church standard, brothers and sisters, can never be more than a point of reference from which you as a morally righteous person on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ are directed to an understanding of a principle. The church standard can't make you righteous. It can't control your passions. You're not okay just because you're within the church standard. Maybe this is even a little bit deeper point. The Christian life is not founded on a written standard of living or a code of ethics. The Christian life is not just obeying the commands of Jesus. It's deeper than that. Obeying the commands of Jesus are part of that, but it's deeper than that. The Christian life is, found, is a life that is directed by a voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus, to become like him by your own voluntary choice and by your own discipline. By saying, I choose to follow Jesus personally. And as I choose to follow Jesus personally, my life is changed. There's three things I want to pull out of that. One of them is following Jesus. Jesus does not drive or chase. Jesus leads and invites us to follow him. That means that he gives us an opportunity, but he never forces us to do what he wants us to do. He only invites us to do that. That means that voluntary choice is necessary. That's the second thing. That means that you have a responsibility, or maybe more than a responsibility, an opportunity to choose the way of Jesus Christ yourself. But that also means you have the choice not to choose that way. 
The other is personal discipline. That voluntary choice leads to us leaving behind the things that draw us away from the rugged path that Jesus took. Because if you're going to follow him, it's going to be the way of the cross. I want to think about this one other way. Before we dive into the subject. The Bible talks about the church. It, it depicts the church and the followers of Jesus as a flock. And I don't know what your idea of, of a flock is or what you think about when you think about a flock of sheep. But I get the idea of, you know, some picturesque scene up on the side of the Alps or somewhere where there's this green, lush pasture of flowers scattered through it and the shepherd standing by a rock with a, with a staff in his hand and the sheep are spread out there grazing in the meadow in front of him and, and they're all kind of gathered there close by. They're not real far away. They're not scattered way out across the side of the mountain. And, and I see the shepherd looking over the, over the pasture and he sees that the best grass is getting nipped down a little bit. And, and he calls to the sheep and he says, come this way. And he calls them by name. And as he calls them by name, they turn and they follow him. And we, have a, we had a new experience with that. We, had, we bought a sheep from the livestock, the livestock sale and it was a wild sheep. And we got that thing home and it got out and it ran all over the neighborhood some of our neighbors finally found it. it. It ran about two miles away. The neighbors that found it, they, had a they happened to have a bottle, and they milk-fed this little sheep. And by the time we found the sheep and got it back, it had become a little bit accustomed to humans. And so the boys, they, they tamed this sheep up and played with the sheep and rubbed it and fed it. And that sheep follows those boys like a dog, almost more than a dog. It trots right behind them, and they'll go running across the pasture, and it'll just go trotting right behind them. And it'll come up on the porch, and it tries to come in the house, and all kinds of fun stuff. But my point is this. Once the sheep learn to know the shepherd, they want to follow him because they know him, and they know he's taking them to a good place. And if Jesus calls you up a steep and rocky path to go to that better pasture, to go to that better place? Are you going to follow him or are you going to try to find your own way? And the biblical view of leadership in the church is that the pastors are part of the flock and yet they have a responsibility to act as under shepherds to the flock. And so I want to give you this, I want to give you this challenge. I want to give you this thing to think about in relation to the flock. What is your relationship with those under-shepherds? And pastors here tonight, what is your relationship with your sheep? Is it a relationship where they know that you want to take them to the better pasture? Both ways. See, it goes both ways. And it has to be there both ways or it doesn't work. Because we wanted to keep that little sheep in and we wanted to keep him safe. And we figured after the first night that the coyotes had gotten him. But for all our desire, we couldn't do anything for him until his heart wanted to go with our hearts. And it didn't matter how much we chased him around the pasture when he got out. It didn't matter how much we tried to catch him. We couldn't catch him until he had felt our love. And then he came to us. And so that's just part of what's necessary for us to be successful as churches in relationship with the things that we face in the world.
So as we go, as we are going through the world, there might be this rocky cliff that we could fall off of. There might be this uh, bramble bush that we're going to get caught up in. Are you speaking to one another? Are you saying, watch out? Don't venture so far. Watch out for that steep place. And are you listening to one another? Are you speaking and listening? See those next verses there in Ephesians said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We have to be communicating with one another. And, and brothers and sisters, I need this stuff every bit as much as you do. And, and part of the reason why I put together this talk was because I wanted to share with my congregation from a pastor's heart some of the things I was learning about the effects of tech on us as people. I'm not a tech expert. If you need to know how to download apps and fix your problems on your computer and all that stuff, don't call me. Find somebody on the tech committee and call them because I'm not going to probably be able to help you. That's not the perspective I'm sharing from. Sharing from. Neither, am I, neither, am I, neither am I an anti-internet uh, fanatic. One of my favorite verses is in Acts chapter 13, verse 36 where it talks about David serving the purpose of God in his generation. God has called us to serve his purpose in our generation. Not in ten to three generations ago, not in five generations ago. God wants us to feel, fulfill his purpose in our generation. And in our generation, there's things like the internet. There's technologies like that. There's a whole lot of other technologies too. But God has called us to serve his purpose in our generation. But we need to be awake if we're going to serve that purpose. And we need to be paying attention. We need to have light from Christ. So the first area I want to talk about is the effect of fame. <clears throat> so in past civilizations, there was only a handful of famous people. So a person could only get famous in times past by achieving some great thing or accomplishing some great feat or doing something amazing. And what does it mean to be famous? Well, on a rough a rough framework for famous is that you are known by a whole lot of people who you don't know. So the more people that know you that you don't know, the more famous you are. That gives you an idea of what it means to be famous. But that's not the way it is today. <clears throat> Ava was a 14-year-old TikTok star who lived in Florida. An 18-year-old man from Maryland began, became obsessed with her. When she cut off communication with him, he began stalking her, eventually coming to her home. Her father shot and killed the young man after he fired a shotgun through their front door. Ava felt that the good of her social interaction outweighed the bad, primarily the good being that she gets a thrill every morning at the amount of likes for her latest video. Even though the bad was an obsessed young man attacking their daughter, Ava's parents have allowed her to continue her TikTok account and build her brand. The secular commentator relating the story finished with this quote. Parents need to be looking down the road for their children from a vantage point that is inaccessible to the child. It seems gross and negligent on the part of Ava's parents to allow her to continue, but compared to other parents who allow their children to pursue fame on social media, they are worse only by degrees, not by kind. So you think it's negligent of Ava's parents to allow her to continue to do the thing that endangered her life? I think it is. However, 
If you are allowing, if you would be allowing your child to pursue social media, you're doing the same thing. The degree of risk is probably not as high to her life, but it's the same kind of negligence. So you think, well, none of us are famous on social media. But a measure of fame can be acquired by every person who has a social media account. You can become known by people who you do not know. All you have to do is offer yourself up as a spectacle and have others, for whatever reason, take you up on that offer. In many cases, like Ava's, what she did was dance and undress, and that's what made her famous. Someone has said that fame on social media is similar to being a lottery winner. The fame can be acquired with no discipline, and those who achieve it do not know how to handle its negative side. Lottery winners, their money often destroys them. And the problem with people, young people, especially becoming famous on social media, is that it destroys them. It destroys their ability to be normal human beings. On the other hand, those who seek fame but don't, don't acclaim, don't reach that acclaim, but they observe people who do, their lives never seem to match up with the glamorous snippets they see of others online. They get gripped by this sense of desperation that somehow they don't measure up, that their life is a failure. There is currently in our country an epidemic of 12 to 14-year-old girls attempting to commit suicide. A lot of those girls, probably all of those girls, are on social media regularly. And no, we don't have a lot of young ladies slitting their wrists, but that does not mean that social media is not affecting us. And some of those principles, while they don't come out in that depth of despair, And depression, they exist in the hearts of young people. And they exist in the hearts of people who get caught in these traps. And I'm going to talk some more about what that means in a little bit. But I want to move now to what is driving the psychology that's driving social media. What are the people thinking who run the platforms? Well, they're thinking about money. And they make their money by selling ads. You get the service for free, and they get paid by posting, by putting ads up on their sites. What if you had a product to sell, and you had the ability to put that product before the eyes of the most interested people in that product? What if you had a way to put tractors in front of basically just farmers? What if you had a way to put lawnmowers in front of the people who were looking for a lawnmower. Social media has a way to do that. They have artificial intelligence that's gathering your data as you spend time online, and they gather your, in da- your data, and they continually are, are amassing that data for, your, as, for you as a specific user, and as they amass that data, they then channel the ads from that data to you. 
And so they're taking your internet usage and they're aligning the, your consumption and what you see with what you're looking for. So the longer that they can keep you online, the better they can figure out what you want and the more focused they can make the advertisement that they send your way. But there's something else that they do too with that. They don't just send advertisements your way. They also send um, content. They also channel your content. And so they're continually feeding you in the direction that you want to go. So there's two things that are primary in this process. The one is polarization. It makes you think the issues you're focused on are hugely important in the world. The other one is addiction. They exclusively feed your interest. And when your interest is fed, it leads you towards addiction. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But what does that mean for us? Well, the appeal is to consumption rather than development. So the appeal of that kind of, of channeling is for you to consume, not for you to develop. So they are specifically trying to get you to consume. They're not trying to get you to develop as an individual. That's one of the big warning signs for the people who are um, purely looking at it from a secular perspective. Because that means that people are becoming consumers and they're not developing. And they mean it primarily from a standpoint of education. But what happens? Well, part of what happens is that it circumvents a natural system, psychological system that happens in your mind. And I can use an illustration that you understand. So sugar is a good example of this. So in years past, where did our sugar come from? Like we're talking 100 years plus ago. Where did you get sugar? Maple syrup, good. Sugar cane. Now, how available was sugar cane in Virginia 150 years ago? Good point. Not extremely available, I'm guessing. Molasses, another good one. Honey, another good one. So was it down the road at the store, buy the gallon for an affordable price? No. You had to go find the bee tree, you had to go tap the maple tree, you had to boil the sap down, and then you ended up with this little amount of sweetener. And you added that small amount of sweetener to a few things along the way to, do, to enhance the taste just a little bit, but you stretched that stuff out as long as you could. And now every one of you ladies has a sugar bowl sitting, of refined sugar sitting on your cabinet, don't you? And you can dip into that thing as heavily as you want to and put as much of it as you want to into your food and it's just fine. You can go down the store and buy as much more as you want. The developed world, one of the leading sources, one of the leading causes of death in the developed world is obesity. Why do you think that is? Sugar. Now, if you're a bodybuilder, men, do you want to have a high sugar diet? I'm not seeing a lot of affirmative. No, you don't. You don't. It's not developmental, is it? But it's good, isn't it? How many of you have gone to the cookie jar and gotten a cookie 
and eaten that cookie and wanted to go back and get another cookie. That's not as many hands as I thought. <laughs> but you get my point. Sugar is a reward. And that reward, God naturally put in place to, for us to spend time going and looking and exercising and endeavoring to find the things that we needed to bring an added flavor into our lives. But we have separated the, by refining sugar and making it highly available, we have separated the reward from the discipline required to get the reward. And it has caused obesity in the, in the, in the developed world. So what does that mean? What am I trying to bring out? What I'm trying to bring out is that the internet, social tech can do this to you psychologically. It can short circuit your system and separate the reward from the discipline that is required to get it. YouTube is this to real experience. Porn is this to sexuality. Social media is this to relationships. Online shopping is this to exploration and discovery. So I just want you to think about those. I'm not going to talk about them. If you have questions about how that is and I don't explain it later on, come talk to me later. Because if you have any question about why those are those things, you need to talk about it. You need to be awake. You need to figure it out. And that's probably not all. Those are just the big ones that I, that I wanted to bring up. So why do they short-circuit us? Because they short-circuit us because they give us a dopamine hit. Polarization and addiction give you a dopamine hit, which basically is a reward stimulation that happens in your body. And so when you experience something that's polarizing or something that's addicting, it gives you a dopamine hit, and you think you just got a reward. And that is what makes you want to go back and go back and go back and go back and all of a sudden an hour is gone and you've lost track of time and you've lost track of what you were supposed to be doing and you just crave that reward and that's that pull that you feel when you have nothing to do and you've got 10 minutes to burn and you think this would be a good time to pray read a book, surf the web. What's the pull? When you feel that pull, there's an addictive thing happening in your body. And you are the only one that can tell when that's happening, and you're the only one that knows how to discipline it. So the problem is, not just that you can't. See, when that, when that cycle gets broken, the problem isn't that you just can't or that you just don't develop normally. The problem is that you can't develop normally. It's impossible to develop properly by eating all sugar. It's impossible. You can't do it. You cannot physically do it. When you short-circuit yourself psychologically, you cannot develop properly. It's not just that you don't do it. It's that you can't. And there's a difference between those two, and I hope you catch it. 
So one of the secular sources that I got some of this information from called these appetites, these, these reward circuit appetites, our lower nature. And the reason why they called them our lower nature has nothing to do with Christianity, but the reason why they called them our lower nature is because it feeds, it doesn't feed our developmental side. It doesn't feed the side that educates and, and grows us as individuals. And so they call them our lower, our lower nature. I thought that was interesting. So one of the things that happens with polarization and, and, and the focus channel of information is that as we continue to amass and amass more and more of this information, they start giving you more and more also, along with the information that you like, they give you more and more radical views on the information. And so they make, make more and more radical sides available to you or ideas. And if you are constantly getting channeled only that feed and you're not getting balanced by other viewpoints, then you're going to get pulled into a radical position slowly. And then what does that do? Well, that puts you farther away from people who maybe are here or over here. And so you wonder why there's so much polarization in the political wor world right now in the, in the U.S.? Social media is a huge driver for the political, um, what's the word, polarization that we're experiencing as a country. Social media is a huge driver on that. Tech is a huge driver on that. The other thing that it makes it really tempting to do is, is to connect with the online community with whom we agree and distance ourselves from the local people with whom we don't agree. And so we, we find our connection with people that agree with us most easily. And it's easier for us to go online and find an online community where we don't have accountability to connect with because they agree with us and because that's easy than it is to connect with the people that are right in our homes or right in our churches. More and more people end up on opposing poles. I'd like for you just to consider, if you don't think that this is happening in our churches, I'd like for you to consider the amount of links that are sent on specific subjects. If you're an internet user, at least for me, over the past couple years, I have received a bunch of links from very opposing viewpoints from within our churches where people are saying, look at this, check this out. This is really good information. This is really good information. And they're pretty, pretty polar opposites coming from within our church groups. And so this online polarization is affecting us, whether we see it clearly in the front or not. I want to talk just a little bit about some specific apps. Uh, TikTok and, and Snapchat. It would be a good idea for you to ditch them if you use them. Now, I'll qualify that just a little bit. But no, first of all, I'm going to say this. The reason why I say that is this. Both of those applications are built around two things, sensuality and fame. Now, the lesser of the two evils, TikTok's the larger of the two evils, 
And it's especially centered around the promotional of promotion of personal image. And Snapchat is probably the lesser of those two evils. And if you use it over an extended period of time, you can work your way away from some of the essential content that's on uh, Snapchat. And I don't have a lot of experience with it. I know there's people in a, in a lot of, a fair amount of people in our circles who use Snapchat and maybe have had a better experience with it than, than I have. Um, but here's one thing for you to think about. If there's central content on a site, how much mucking through central content do you want to do if there's another app alternative for um, connecting with people? And I think, there's, I think there's better app options than Snapchat. And I would not recommend a young person opening a Snapchat account and having to deal with what they see when you first open up the account. It's just, at least some of it is just not good. I don't know if many or any of you are using Twitter. It is an insult playground. Um, it's a big driver in polarization. Um, Elon Musk did not buy Twitter for no reason. And I don't know that I have a lot to say about Twitter, but a lot of what goes on there is simply polar. There's a lot of polarization that's happening on Twitter. Instagram has taken a very severe downward turn in the past five years. Um, it's, a, it's increasingly laden with a thing called porn bots. They are links in the Instagram, in Instagram that people can, can create. It's basically a blog link. And because a blog link is a social link, you can click on it. Your internet will not filter, your filter will not filter it. And people can put explicit content on that blog and it will not be picked up by Instagram because it's a separate, it's actually set up as a separate page. And so this is a way that people are using Instagram to promote uh, sensual content and to be able to actually gain likes and gain fame through sensual content. I don't know what it takes for those to actually be filtered. I, I believe eventually those sites usually do become filtered sites because they get enough feedback that is... Um, they get enough data feedback that it recognizes what the content actually is, and then they start to filter them. But the problem is that that person can just go and develop another link, and they're right back on there. So Instagram has really degenerated in the last couple of years. Facebook's a great place to spend hours looking at people and things with whom you have no real connection. I don't use Facebook a lot. I have a Facebook account. Um, their video content is largely essential, and the content posted by the majority of people who do not share our faith and practice is patriotic and sensual. And those are both things that we really don't, if you are following Jesus, really don't want to have a lot to do with. Why is it such a big deal to keep up with a few people? Well, maybe it's not, but the time spent with Instagram and Facebook friends is taken away from people with whom you could have meaningful relationships. And so 
where do you want to have meaningful, where are you going to have meaningful relationships? So here's my recommendation to you as far as social, and I gave my congregation this recommendation. I highly recommend that you limit your social media use to those with whom you have meaningful relationships. If you cannot limit yourself to these things, delete your accounts. So basically, if you can't use social media to develop meaningful, that, to develop meaningful relationships that you have, just delete your accounts because it's not doing you any good. It's not developing who you are as an individual. I have WhatsApp. It is a great messaging app. It's probably my favorite way to message. But I want to talk about something, and I've done this before, and so I'm not judging anybody by this. I just wanted to give you something to think about. I want to talk about a little thing called status. The value of a memory is best retained when kept with those who shared the experience. If you have an experience with someone that you love, the way to keep that moment special is to keep it between you and them. That's what makes it beautiful. So the problem is that when status has become your go-to, what you do is you post statuses and the people that are involved in the event become the object of your status. Now, that's a really underneath thing that happens, and it, it's going to happen very slowly and very subconsciously. But people become objects rather than the special person that you had a moment, a special moment with, when it gets overdone. So just be careful about how you use that form of social media. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet. That's not hard to believe if you've been doing it much on the internet recently. Pretty much all the advertisement is going to video. Largely everything is going to video very rapidly. All information is going, a lot of information is going to video. And video is the way God designed us to interact with the world. Did you know that? Your eyes are the camera and your mind's the screen. The processor and the screen. So, I have a video for you all to watch on YouTube over the next two weeks. I'm going to put a, gro I'm going to put a GoPro on my head that's looking the same way my eyes are. And I'm going to video everything that I do, including sleeping, naturally. And you all can watch that video to your heart's content. How many of you are going to have the patience to watch that video more than about three minutes? None of you, unless I'm doing something really exciting. And then you might make three and a half. Well, what, am I, what point am I trying to make? The real world does not happen in 30-second exciting video clips. And if you're feeding yourself a diet of exciting 30-second, two-minute, three-minute video clips, and, and you're getting pulled into watching that kind of stuff on a regular basis, you're short-circuiting what you understand the real world to look like. The other thing that happens is it creates an information bypass. It bypasses reading and discussion. 
And reading and discussion are the way that we logically connect information to our minds. When you take in your information through video, it's a whole lot more information at one time and it's much more connected to your emotions than it is to your logic. And so you're much more likely to get affected more by video than you are by reading because we're affected more emotionally than we are logically as a whole. But what do you want to develop? Do you want to develop just radical emotional response or do you want to develop factual logical response? And if your, your video content starts to outweigh what it should be in your life, you're going to neglect reading and discussion, which are going to be the way you're going to develop that logical connection with thinking. So I'm not going to read this, but our position on video is in page 34 of our Rules and Discipline, and it says legitimate uses are business and instruction. And I want to encourage you that if you do not make a conscious effort to uphold and, or, and exceed this standard, you will be negatively affected by video. And let me throw this in there too. Computer games are very similar to this, especially action computer games are very similar to this same thing. And especially for children. And do not use video for a babysitter. Do not allow your children to play action video games on any kind of a regular basis. And it would be best to say never on action video games. If you want to let them play Scrabble on your phone, I don't think that's probably a big problem. But you will negatively affect your children. Well, they just won't develop. That's the bottom line. Podcasts. What's, your, what's the intake of information? It's mind-forming. The information that you take in forms your mind. So if you're listening to podcasts on a regular basis, what's the content? What's the source? Is it true? How do you know it's true? Is it verified? Or, does it, or do you just like it because it's an articulate way to say what you think to be true? Or is it actually teaching you something? Is it developing you? Is the source sound in theology and in faith? That stuff's important. I want to wrap this up. So God put these physical reward circuits in place to take us to something that's beyond the physical. To take us to the deeper relational aspects of who we are as human beings. That's why those reward circuits are there in relationship with the real world and those things that we're getting caught up with on the internet. So I want you to consider your life. Your life has a certain amount of available capacity. It has a certain amount of available capacity of time. It has a certain amount of capacity for relationship. And when you reach the limit of that capacity, that's the end of your life. So what are you going to do with that capacity? So I was talking about that when you get involved in short-circuiting that you can't develop. So this bowl represents a short-circuited mind. 
what happens is that you build a blocker between yourself and the deeper part of your being. And you try to fill up the surface of your being with social interaction. And what happens is that because it doesn't meet the deep inner need of your heart, you continue to reach out and out and out and out and out. And you become wider and wider and wider and shallower and shallower and shallower. Because the, you, you only have a certain amount of capacity. So the wider you go, the farther out you spread yourself, the more shallow you, spread, you make yourself. And the farther you come from meeting the need of this. And the problem is that when there's a blocker there, there's no way for you to actually meet that need. That blocker has to be taken away. Now, I don't have some water. I thought about this might be good. But, you know, I could dump water in here, and it would not only would it only fill up here on the surface, nothing would go down here. But if I dump water in here, it's going to go to the very bottom to begin with, and it's going to fill me up. How are you going to build your life? Are you going to build your life as a shallow as a broad and shallow individual who has limited connection and a, and a deep inner lack of fulfillment? Are you going to build a life that's deep? But it, one thing's going to have to happen. If you're going to build a life that's deep, you're going to have to discipline yourself to not be too wide. Because if you just spread yourself out as far as you possibly can, you're not going to be able, and that's not just on the internet. It happens, it happens to people outside of the internet. People just spread themselves out and then they can't deepen their lives. In the area of technology, thinking about this, in the area of technology, a lot of these platforms have legitimate uses, but they're going to have to be heavily disciplined by us as individuals and as parents if we're not going to be caught in having children, or even ourselves, ending up with this kind of a life. The Christian life is founded on a direct, the Christian life is founded on a life directed by voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus. If you want a text for that, Luke chapter 14, 25 to 35. So I've talked about a lot of things tonight. A lot of things that aren't in the R&D. A lot of things that you don't have, you can go home and you can not do and you can still be right on par with the church. But what do you want to be as an individual? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus or do you just want to be inside a social group? Because here's what's going to happen, and here's what does happen, and here's what is happening, I think, across Anabaptist circles, much broader than just our community and conference. But because people are not really willing to discipline and develop themselves in the way that's necessary to follow Jesus Christ, people are only being guided by what the church standard says, and they're allowing themselves to live out things in life that are not what Jesus would do. And so that, what happens then is that these areas of carnality start to come out in the lives of individuals, in the lives of people. 
And people who know the Word and know the Lord are saying, no, wait a minute. We've got to do something about this. We have people living very carnal lives. And what are we going to do about it? Well, we could make a rule to try to push some of that carnality back in, right? But the problem is that if there's not a moral and religious fabric inside the heart of the individual, if you are not living a life that's guided by the righteousness of Jesus Christ living in you, the abundance of rules will not solve the problem. It's only going to be through discipline and the Spirit of God at work in the heart of the individual. I want to finish on a positive note. So we've heard a lot about the dangers of the world around us. But it's not going to be by focusing on the dangers of the world around us that's going to make us what we ought to be. It's going to be by living the lives that we should live and knowing the person that we should know. By fulfilling the two greatest commandments and throwing our lives into developing deep relationships with God and with one another, the people that are close to us. So may the Lord give us grace to do that in our generation.